Welcome back to the Strange Neighborhood Podcast. It is episode 34, and today I want to talk to you about the goddess Columbia. And you might be asking yourself, who the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) And I'm going to tell you, so don't worry. Um, So as you you guys know, I like to uh, scour through the old newspapers and in the archives and find interesting stuff because they have left so much behind for clues that if we just take the time to look back, we have almost all the answers of the mystery of our past, things that they have tried to erase from our collective memory. It's all just sitting there in little tidbits and clues The only problem is you have to read a fucking lot of old shitty papers to find the gold. But for me, it's like a treasure hunt. So it's like the thrill of the chase. I like doing it. I like digging. I like scouring. I like to be the one that finds the thing. I don't like to just share the thing. I like to find it and be like, wow, I fucking found that. Yes. (laughs) And then share it with all of you because I don't want it to be lost forever. I want everyone to know all of this and I want us to remember who we are, where we came from and what this place really is. So I did find something pretty interesting this earlier this week and it changed the trajectory of what I thought this episode was going to be. But I'll just read you this little blurb and then we'll talk about it. This comes from the Minnesota Pioneer January 9th, 1850. Long fucking time ago. 172 years ago. It's called Seal of California. The design of the seal for the Golden State of California is as follows. A grizzly bear feeding upon a cluster of grapes. Emblematical of the most fearful animal and the most delicious luxuries of this country. Upon the right is a representation of Minerva, holding the Gorgon shield in one hand and a spear in the other, emblematic of the springing into existence as a state without going through the forms of a territorial government. The reverse is a representation of the miner with pick and spade, and implements of mining, toiling for the precious treasure. In the middle is a beautiful river on which are seen steamboats, emblematical of commerce. In the distance is seen the snow-clad tops of the Sierra and Nevada. 
on the top, the motto, Eureka, I have found it. Applicable either to the miner as success attends his labors or the stranger as he settles in its beautiful valleys. A man rocking a cradle as the symbol of fever. And something I can't read, sorry. Sometimes these are a little bit hard because the letters are faded off. Might be appropriately introduced in the foreground. Oh, they want to add a man rocking a cradle as a symbol of pe- fever, fever, and I don't know. Anyway, so I went <clears throat> and I thought, what the fuck is Minerva doing <clears throat> on the Seal of California? Um, so I was looking into Minerva after that. And I looked up the California seal, which I think you really should. And what I seen on it, if that is to be Minerva, that she looks exactly like the statue we find all over America, the same statue from the World's Fairs and that time period and all the Capitol buildings and in front of the universities and the same statue that I've been trying to figure out who this goddess is that is portrayed so numerously. Numerously, I don't know. But there's so many statues and depictions of her during this time period, 1800s through the turn of the century, all the way up to around the Second World War. And some people say she was all different goddesses and um, like a a god of... um, I can't remember. There was like Nike. Like people said all kinds of things to me because this is not the first time I've been wondering about this statue. I understand that things have meanings and they don't just put these statues everywhere for no reason. So this depiction of Minerva on the California seal, the state seal of California, is the same person. And on her shield... is what looks like to me the depiction of Minerva or Hathor or the ancient goddess with the horns on her head and angel wings or like a headdress that's like a crescent with the points facing up. So of course I was like, what in the heck is going on here? So <clears throat> Wikipedia. <clears throat> so Wikipedia has this to say about Minerva. Minerva is the Roman goddess of wisdom, justice, law, victory, and the sponsor of arts, trade, and strategy. Minerva is not a patron of violence such as Mars, 
but of strategic war. From the 2nd century BC onward, the Romans equated her with the Greek goddess Athena. Minerva is one of the three Roman deities in the Capitoline Triad, along with Jupiter and Juno. Then I was thinking about Minerva and her connection to Bohemian Grove. Because a long time ago, when Alex Jones gave us <laughs> some inside scoop about Bohemian Grove, even though I think his perspective was slightly skewed of what was happening there, we know there's a sign at the entrance with the Owl of Minerva that says, Weaving Spiders Come Not Here. And there's a giant effigy of an owl in their outdoor amphitheater at Bohemian Grove. It's also hidden, this same owl, in the small corner, a microscopic owl on the $1 bill, the American $1 bill. This owl's everywhere. And this owl is on the seal of the National Press Club. This owl's everywhere. Now, in this article about the seal of California, we glazed over one part where it says, the representation upon the right is a representation of Minerva holding the Gorgon shield in one hand and the spear in the other. And I thought that the depiction on the Gorgon seal could be linked to like a lot of symbolism of the goddess with the crescent on the head. So I looked up what a Gorgon shield was. And when you type in Gorgon shield, you get a lot of um, whatever that one, Assassin, Assassin's Creed, the Gorgon shield from Assassin's Creed. Okay. <laughs> um, so a Gorgon is a creature in Greek mythology. Gorgons occur in the earliest examples of Greek literature. While descriptions of Gorgons vary, the term most commonly refer refers to three sisters who are described as having hair made of living, venomous snakes and horrifying visages that turned those who beheld them to stone. Traditionally, two of the Gorgons Steno, S-T-H-E-N-O, and Uriel, Uriel, I don't know, E-U-R-Y-A-L-E, were immortal, but their sister, Medusa, was not, and was slain by the demigod and hero, Perseus. 
So that's a little bit to take in. <laughs> um, listen to this. A little bit about the history. I'll skip some of it because it gets a bit dry. But this first bit's good. And there's some more down below that's pretty good. Gorgons were a popular image in Greek mythology, appearing in the earliest of written records of ancient Greek religious beliefs, such as those of Homer, which may date to as early as 1194 to 1184 BC because of their legendary and powerful gaze that could turn one to stone. Images of Gorgons were put upon objects and buildings for protection. An image of a Gorgon holds the primary location at the pediment of Temple of, of the Temple of Corfu, which is the oldest stone pediment in Greece. It is dated to 600 BC. The concept of the Gorgon is at least as old as the classical Greek mythology of Perseus and Zeus. Gorgonia features, sorry, Gorgonia figures depicting a Gorgon head first appear in Greek art at the turn of the 8th, 8th century BC. One of the earliest representations is on the Electrum Stator, discovered during excavations at Perium. Perium. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. She also identifies the prototype of the Gorgonian in Neolithic art motifs, especially in anthropomorphic vases, terracotta masks inlaid with gold. Now listen to this tidbit because I find this one, this part, very, very interesting and relevant. The large Gorgon eyes, as well as Athena's flashing eyes, are symbols termed the divine eyes. They appear also in Athena's sacred bird, the owl. They may be represented by spirals, wheels, concentric circles, swastikas, fire wheels, and other images. The inward stance of the gorgon with arms and legs at angles is closely associated with these symbols as well. Some gorgons are shown with broad round heads, serpentine locks of hair, large staring eyes, wide mouths, tongues lolling. The tusks of swine, large projecting teeth, flared nostrils, and sometimes short, coarse beards. Some reptilian attributes, such as a belt made of snakes, the snakes emanating from the head up into or entwined in the hair, as in the Temple of Artemis in Corfu, are symbols likely derived from the guardians, closely associated with the early Greek religious concepts at the centers such as Delphi, where the dragon Delphine lived, and the priestess Pythia delivered oracles. The skin of the dragon was said to be made 
of impenetrable scales. Does that sound like a dragon you've heard of, maybe in The Hobbit? And the Temple of Delphi in Greece is where the words were first seen. Know thyself. And I think that is a really important thread in our collective understanding of what we are. Like, I think it's the most important thing to do is to get to know yourself. It's like, those words hold hold so true to me. I feel like you can't know anything until you know yourself. It comes from knowing yourself, knowing other things. So, these Gorgon faces were often placed on doors, walls, floors, coins, shields, breastplates, and tombstones in the hopes of warding off evil. interesting the gorgonian are similar to the sometimes grotesque faces on chinese soldiers shields also used generally as an amulet in protection against the evil eye likewise in hindu mythology kali is often shown with protruding tongue and snakes around her head it's all connected always you guys so exciting (laughs) In some Greek myths, blood taken from the right side of the Gorgon could bring the dead back to life. Yet blood taken from the left side was an instantly fatal poison. So listen to this. Gorgons, especially Medusa, have become common a common image in a common image and symbol in Western culture since the origins in Greek mythology appearing in art, literature, and elsewhere throughout history. In A Tale of Two Cities, for example, Charles Charles Dickens compares the exploitive French aristocracy to the Gorgon. He devotes an entire chapter to this extended metaphor. Now, I just want to play with some genealogy here. Um, The genealogy of the Gorgons. So... Let's just backtrack a bit. Okay. Let's just read a little Medusa shit. Okay. Medusa is is a Gorgon. Gorgon is Medusa. Okay. So Medusa is important. And we see her a lot. In Greek mythology, Medusa, also called Gorgo, P.S., also called Gorgo, was one of the three monstrous Gorgons, generally described as a winged human, female, with living venomous snakes in place of hair. Those who, those who gaze into her eyes would turn to stone. Most sources describe her as the daughter of Forces and Ceto, Ceto, P-H-O-R-C-Y-S, and C-E-T-O. Although the, an author makes her the daughter of Gorgon and Ceto, just makes sense. Anyway, her she has a number of siblings, but she had a baby with Poseidon. <laughs> okay, so she got knocked up by Poseidon, and her baby 
was Pegasus. There is a lot of Pegasus symbolism that's hidden deeply within our culture. And I think a good place to start looking at that is the Freemasons. And maybe just like digging into the past a bit. Pegasus has been on my mind lately. So I was very interested to read the genealogy of how Medusa was his mom. And now I found Medusa on the shield of Minerva on the California seal. And the Minerva, air quotes, looks oddly like this statue. I want you guys to circle back around and meet me at the end of this episode after, because I'm going to add some stuff to the mythology and story of the Gorgons that connects some other symbolism. But for now, I just want to stay on the topic of Columbia. So stick with me. Did you know that the unofficial national anthem for over a century up until the early 1900s, I think even like 19, around the 1930s maybe, that the national anthem was called Hail Columbia. It was the national anthem and it was all about Columbia, the goddess of America. I bet you didn't know that. Or maybe you did. Do you guys want to hear it? <laughs> Uh, here you go, dudes. Here is the previous national anthem. And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three.
anyway, <laughs> there's still like a minute left, but uh, you get the idea. It's worth looking up the words or maybe go look up the YouTube video because the it's called Arcadia Rising dash Goddess Columbia. Um, because it shows all the, a bunch of art about her from the 1800s going along as the song plays. And it's pretty interesting. Lots of good stuff. So let's just go over a few things I learned about Columbia when digging into this American deity. Hail Columbia, first of all, you already know this, I just said it, but Hail Columbia was the first unofficial national anthem for over a century. There's a statue of her at every federal building. On top of the Capitol building in D.C., there's a massive statue of her. And there's a law in the District of Columbia. Think about that for a second. Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia. In the District of Columbia, that statue on top of the Capitol building, there is a law that no building in the District of Columbia can be higher than that statue so that she looks over every building in the Capitol. She was first named in 1738, but this is the official story, <laughs> right? And the sto her origin story is a bit mm, thin. We'll talk about that later. But Washington, D.C. used to be referred to as the District of the Goddess, if you're wondering how closely that name is tied to the Goddess Columbia. And the answer is, that is what it was named for. The reason that the people of D.C. have no govern governance necessarily in the same way everywhere else is represented in the United States is because it was said this was the district of the goddess. The people that lived there were meant to answer to the gods and were meant to be honest and have good intentions and live with good intention so that they need not the governance of men because they were living up to the expectations of the goddess of Colombia. Something weird like that. <laughs> so in the 1800s, there was heavy goddess of Colombia propaganda. She was the face of America. She was the icon that people could live up to. And um, I don't know, model their life after her. And so she was presented and personified. She was later replaced by Uncle Sam. And you might say that she was replaced by Lady Liberty. But did you know that Lady Liberty is the goddess 
Colombia. She was once called the goddess of liberty. She's the statue of liberty. She is the goddess and the steward of this new world. She is Lady Liberty through and through. So they used to play Hail Columbia as a presidential song, even after it was replaced as the national anthem. And it is still to this day the ceremonial entrance march of the vice president of the United States, just with no lyrics. And Colombia's everywhere. If you go looking for her in popular culture, you'll find her everywhere. What about Colombia pictures? What about that it's Colombia TriStar pictures? The Colombia symbol is the goddess Colombia holding her torch. The TriStar logo is a fucking Pegasus, you guys. And TriStar, there's a connection to a triple goddess triple Gorgon, triple star, just saying it's all connected. Minerva was part of a three-part gang of goddesses, right? Or gods. It's just crazy how everything is so connected together. And it's so hard to like build connections because there's just so many threads connecting everything. Let me tell you a bit about the <clears throat> history of the song Hail Columbia quickly. The music was composed by Philip Fillet in 1789 for the first inauguration of George Washington. Dudes. Entitled The President's March, it became the song Hail Columbia when arranged with lyrics by Joseph Hopkins in 1798. The song gained popularity during the XYZ affair and subsequent quasi-war with France. The song was used in the United States as a de facto national anthem throughout the 19th century. However, the song lost popularity after World War I until it was replaced by the Star Spangled Banner in 1931. It was a personal anthem for the president until it was replaced by the song Hail to the Chief, and it is now the official vice president's personal anthem. The song is always preceded by four ruffles and flourishes when introducing the vice president. It has also been used as a slow march during the military ceremonies, often while the band countermarches. Columbia was the most well-known icon of America. For a very long time. She came with George Washington, you guys. I want you to think about that. And think about how prominent she was. And how you can barely find a shred of her name anywhere to this day. Pretty curious. If you follow the idea that we are resettling an old world... I guess some people call it the Tartaria theory, but I reject that name. Then maybe Columbia was a way we renamed the face that was all over this place when we got here. 
maybe it was a way to evolve the deity to suit the needs of the architects or controllers that were reestablishing the new world and erasing history piece by piece. Now, as you can imagine, when they want to erase something, the resources get a bit slim, don't they? And when I find things hard to look up, I try to look for other researchers that have done the legwork already and can give us some insights about the things they've found. And it's all collected in a tidy little package then, isn't it? So I found a pretty amazing video on YouTube by Voice of Reason Official. That's the channel name. And I'll also link it below because I pretty much use the guys, the audio from the guy's whole video because he really sounded out quite nice, even though I don't necessarily agree with his conclusion at all whatsoever. That just, well, you'll see. <laughs> but I think he made a lot of great points. And um, since I don't make money off my podcast, it's just free advertising for him. And I hope he doesn't mind. But I'm going to let you guys listen to what he has to say about Colombia. The video is called Who is Colombia? Lots of great imagery in that video. So definitely go check the link and check it out. But here is what he had to say about Our Lady Columbia. Washington, D.C. Do you remember the first time you heard the name of the capital city? Washington. Well, that's easy. But what about D.C.? I remember learning what D.C. stood for and wondering why a foreign country, Colombia, had a district in our country. Well, rest assured, the Colombia, whose district we refer to as the capital of our nation, is not a country at all. That would be way too simple. Columbia. She may easily be the figure that you are most familiar with, but have never heard of. Let's see, she has a motion picture company, a city, a country, a mountain, a university, a broadcasting company, a space shuttle, had a space shuttle. She's the Statue of Liberty, Lady Justice, the Starbucks logo, the Madonna, Isis, Venus, Ishtar, and the list goes on and on. But who is she? Her story begins in the Middle East, in the ancient land of Mesopotamia over 5,000 years ago, where, known as Semiramis, she reigned as Queen of Babylon, wife of the historical Nimrod, King of Babylon. And together, they ruled the world's first empire as God, King, and Queen of Babylon. 
Semiramis was a renaissance woman. She was a warrior, a mighty warrior. She was a magician, a strong politician, very savvy. So after her husband, Nimrod, was assassinated, she wanted to keep the throne. And how she pulled this off was brilliant. She told the people of Babylon that she was pregnant and that the baby was going to be Nimrod reincarnated. She told them that after her husband's murderers chopped him into 13 pieces, she actually went out and found the 13th piece of Nimrod, which was his dismembered male member. And that's what she used to impregnate herself. And you probably had no idea, but this magic ritual conception is memorialized to this day. Most notably with the Dominobolus complexes that are prominently displayed all around the world. And here's how. The dome represents the womb of Semiramis Columbia, while the obelisk represents... Well, it's pretty obvious what the obelisk represents. And the way that this symbolic representation is on display at the Washington, D.C. Capitol is unbelievable. First off, Columbia is perched on top of the Capitol dome, just in case there was any question whose womb it signified. And then the obelisk which is obviously the Washington Monument, is the only structure in D.C. taller than the Capitol building. It stands at an impressive 555 feet, or, you guessed it, 6,660 inches. You can't make this shit up. And for good measure, the streets surrounding the federal complex in D.C. are totally laid out in the shape of a pentagram. See, this Columbia thing isn't really just about her. It's actually the Babylonian Egyptian mystery religion being practiced in front of you in clear daylight with you having no idea. Which begs the next question. If America was founded as a Christian nation and the founding fathers were Christians, then why was all this pagan and even satanic imagery selected represent the nation's capital but you know when somebody says that you know the, the founders wanted America to be a Christian country I have to challenge that it's, not, it's true. not true and he's right many of the most influential founding fathers weren't Christians at all they were atheists and deists and just like a lot of politicians do today they only use the facade of Christianity to garner the support of their constituents. Meanwhile, in secret, they were Freemasons and even members of literal underground sex clubs. Some even believe that at least part of the reason they fought so hard for religious freedom here in the U.S. was so they could conduct these religious practices in a more open and public way without all the hiding and secrets and persecution. And this is what we are looking at with all of this occult symbology all over the capital city. In fact, the word occult just means hidden, which it is, hidden in plain sight for those who have eyes to see. Keeping with the theme of hidden in plain sight, did you know that one of the days of our week is named after Columbia? Guess which one?
Friday and Venus are linked together as they are the only day and planet that are named after female gods. Friday comes from the Old English Frigdag, which means Frigga's Day, Frigga being the wife of Odin. But wait, he said Frigga, not Columbia or even Semiramis. How are they the same? There's this thing in mythology where gods across different mythologies are considered to be one and the same, just with different names and differing stories. This is most well known with the transition between Greek and Roman mythology, where Zeus became Jupiter, Ares became Mars, and so on. And why is that? Basically, all of the pagan god and goddess traditions have the same root origin. And for us to understand why there are so many different names for what appear to be the same figures, we have to go back to Babylon. In the Hebrew Bible, it suggests that the builder of the Tower of Babel was the king of Shinar, and his name was Nimrod. Nimrod, interesting character. He was said to have built the Tower of Babel. He went up against God himself, tried to get closer than anybody else had ever done. As a result, God struck down the Tower of Babel and as a punishment to humanity for having attempted this act, confused the languages so that everybody couldn't understand everybody else. So after God confounded the language of the people of Babylon, they dispersed out into the world and continued telling this story. However, because their languages were now different from one another, even though the characters remained the same, their names changed. So getting back to Frigga, or Freya, who is also Venus. Frigga was the goddess of fertility and was married to Odin, god of the dead. Which is the exact same story as the Egyptian Isis, goddess of fertility, who was married to Osiris, god of the dead. Which is the exact same story as the Sumerian Inanna, who was married to Anki, the Canaanite Asherah, who was married to Baal, the Akkadian Ishtar, who was married to Tammuz, and of course the Babylonian Semiramis, who was married to Nimrod. This goddess, by now, you can probably guess where this is headed. Yes, the idea of the siren, and surprisingly the mermaid, both originate from this sex and fertility goddess. Named Atargatis, which is just a derivation of the goddess Astarte, she was the ancient Syrian version of this goddess, and by their lore, she was half woman and half fish. Which not only gives her the distinction of being the inspiration behind the siren and mermaid mythologies, she's also the muse behind the Starbucks logo. Let's look at it. First off, she is wearing the spiked crown, which is synonymous with Semiramis the spikes representing rays of light illuminating her way. And on the crown, there's a five-pointed star, which unsurprisingly represents Venus. And then she's got these winged, dingling things on her left and right side. But what do those represent? Ah, oh, okay. They're her merfish legs, spread out and held over her head. You may have noticed that Columbia is often depicted holding a torch, but why? What does the torch represent? You're probably thinking America or freedom, right? Not exactly. The National Park Service says the torch is a symbol of enlightenment, that it lights the way to freedom, showing us the path to liberty. There's a lot to unpack here, so let's start with enlightenment. Defined as the act of enlightening, or the state of being enlightened, 
It literally means to add light or illuminate, which of course is where the term Illuminati comes from. If you remember your Sunday school teachings, before Satan was Satan, he was Lucifer, the angel of light. His name literally means the light bringer. So put that in your back pocket for a minute and let's look at the word liberty. Liberty is defined as the power to act as one pleases. Not to be free politically or even from government rule. No, the power to act as one pleases. Which is exactly what Aleister Crawley, Anton LaVey, Jay-Z, and other noted Satanists practice with the idea of do what thou wilt. Which makes sense. The story goes that Lucifer was in heaven and was basically over being told what to do by an overbearing God. So he bailed. He came to the earth where he could do what he wanted, his own will as opposed to God's. That is the crux of the satanic religion that is encrypted in the symbology of the torch that Columbia is holding. It's their core belief that the light of Lucifer illuminates humanity with the power to do whatever they want. So who is Columbia? From Semiramis to Venus, she is the sex goddess and the personification of the concept of freedom from God. She is Lady Liberty and she is holding the fire that represents the light of Lucifer, which is something that the Illuminated Ones have known for a long time, since way before they built America. So there you have it. All I can do is offer you the information. The rest is up to you. Thank you for watching. Now I just want to review some of his conclusions in that video because I disagree with mostly all of the conclusions. I agree with all the information he presented, but the conclusions of where it leads to, to me, isn't right or isn't the whole truth. You see Venus, the star, which is just a luminary traces the path of the pentagram in the sky. Then that symbol has been passed down to mean the star of Venus. We already know the word Lucifer, Lucifer has been mistranslated in the Bible. And what it says now about that word is not what it originally said about that word. The context has completely changed. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a lot of people that cover this subject and I want you to go look back at people that are translating very old versions of the Bible straight from Hebrew and see what they say about that. For me, it's always symbols. The story, stories, of Colombia, of these goddesses, of Ishtar, of Isis, the Queen of Babylon, all of it, Venus, Minerva, Freya. This, the star Venus symbolizes 
the fertility. Maybe not fertility, but symbolizes these goddesses. And so when we see the pentagram in a neutral usage, it's just a symbol of the path of Venus used to symbolize something to us. I don't know if I'm making sense, but what I'm trying to say is these stories are all similar and they all mirror each other because they're trying to tell us the same thing. And there's something encrypted there that we need to know about ourselves, our realm and what we're doing here and how to elevate ourselves within these mythologies that mirror each other. You can't tell me that you haven't heard the same telling of the replicating story when people objectively look at Jesus and link it to other mythologies and stories in history. So why are these stories repeating? Is it because it's the same story told through the context of different um, people? Why is it so important to be passed down? And why is it so exact still that it's so closely mirrored? Because the details are important. The details are where the knowledge is from. So in the act of erasing Columbia from the collective memory of the history of the United States, we are unable to connect it to the goddesses and the stories of the goddess connected to the patterns on the streets of owls and pegasuses, gorgons, the layouts of cities shaped in pentagrams, owls, swastikas, which <clears throat> is just another drawing of the full cycle of a constellation. I know the symbol has been bastardized, but I want you to look back before that. How many other stars are tracing symbols in the sky in a year time? And what are those symbols and where else do we see them? That's the questions we need to ask. Because until we make all these connections, we don't know who we truly are. I also want to say a few things about the story of the goddess and how it connects to also the box saga. If you guys are not familiar with box saga, please go find Dan and Aki Dan and Annie Rouse. They are talking about it everywhere, but I, I actually showed Andy, um, I sent him a picture of this statue, one where she's holding the circular laurel and a staff before I knew it was Columbia. And I said, look, she's holding the symbology of the box saga. Do you think this is linked anything? And I can't remember what he said, but I think he just, or maybe it was Dan. And they said like, it's repeated everywhere. 
and I mean you can't necessarily always just link it straight back but the symbology of the womb and the staff or the <laughs> phallus and this and the womb are all over and um Colombia is like often having these symbols or it's a shield and a spear which are the same shapes what he says about the torch <clears throat> being a symbol of Lucifer for me is a bit crazy because darkness and dark is darkness and light is light and a torch is bringing light to a dark so I think that the torch is symbolic of the hidden knowledge being held in the hands of the goddess and delivering it to the people when we are ready to receive it the light is the truth it is the unveiling of our realm. So we can see our true power, the true power of this realm and what we came here to do. This awakening of people was meant to happen at a certain time. It's happening now. And I think it was always destined to happen and I don't know who's holding the light to illuminate humanity, but I would assume it's the creator of sorts. Maybe something that we are fractals of spiritually, or maybe an overseeing God I'm not sure, whatever you think of the creator. But I do think that secret, secret societies hold the key to a lot of these symbols, hold a lot of this knowledge, and maybe they're pompous enough to think that they're the bringers of the light. Or maybe they were meant to be. I don't know. But what I do know is the light is coming and Columbia is holding the torch. So getting to know the goddess is probably pretty important. Saying that liberty is the path to darkness is a dangerous sentiment to make, I think. I believe in ultimate liberty. And I believe that we have the free will to choose what we do with that liberty. And what we choose to do with that liberty is what makes us or breaks us. And that is how we choose to live our path. There's always a choice. Satanists like Aleister Crowley Jack Parsons that said do as thou wilt took the dark path of liberty there's always a choice there's always duality there's not just one path of liberty that's 
darkness. There's the flip of that always. Some people choose darkness. Some people choose light. It's a free will realm. That doesn't mean that when some people choose darkness through a certain means, that the means that they've used are dark. It's the intention and the choice they make. So that's only half the story. It's only half of the duality that's encrypted in these symbols and in these stories. And you can say that you can trace this goddess back until she's evil. You can call her Lilith. You can call her the whore of Babylon. But really, she is a symbolic deity and there's duality to everything. Maybe bastardizing the symbol of the goddess has been part of our programming. Now, I know we haven't come to any vast conclusions here, but this is more of an invitation and an introduction to show you who Columbia is and that she existed and she was here and even as an egregore or a historical figure, she has great importance and the erasure of her from our historical memory is detrimental because the symbology points us towards our true history and decoding the knowledge of our ancient ancestors. One article I read this, and I'm just going to read it to you guys. If we consider the symbolism used by the Brotherhood, the symbols most prevalent go to the goddess. In America, we call her Columbia. In England, she is known as Britannia, hence British Columbia. In the past, she has been known as Samirias, Ishtar, Anat, Asherah, Isis, Juno, Minerva, Aphrodite, Venus, et al. Now let's look at the goddess symbolism. She is known as the triple goddess. Trinities relate to her. In the tarot, the third major arcana, the number three in the tarot, is the empress. She is symbolized as a phoenix rising and is known as the eye goddess. As Venus, she is symbolized by a shell and a pentagram. Most of the Goddesses have connections with the merfolk. Isis in the Egyptian pantheon 
is a symbol of Sirius. A recently rediscovered trinary star system. It has been shown through history that there is a connection with Sirius and fish people. Finally, the goddess is represented by an owl. You will find numerous depictions of the goddess with her owl and the owl everywhere. Here's a little article from the Hastings Conserver, July 19th, 1864. The cost of the National Monument to be erected at Gettysburg is commemoration of the Union dead who fell upon the fatal field will be $60,000. Its height is to be 50 feet. The design consists of a shaft of marble crowned with a colossal bronze statue of the Goddess of Liberty, 15 feet high. The base of solid white mar marble has four buttresses, each supporting a statue representing respectively history, war, peace, and plenty. And do you remember in that clip I played you from the YouTube video where he said that goddess is distinguished by the po the points on her crown? Didn't that make you think of the Statue of Liberty? Sorry, I forgot to add that earlier. Okay, listen to this. I think I'm almost out of articles here about her. And then we'll wrap this up. <laughs> this was in the Saturday morning paper of the Daily Minnesota Pioneer on September 9th, 1854. Clay Monument at Lexington. Designs for the Clay Monument proposed to be erected have been made by the St. Louis architect. The style, which appears to be the most elaborate, is as follows. The details taken from the Temple of Jupiter at Rome. The statue being the same as that described in the preceding design is erected within a great circular temple resting upon a corresponding octagon, octagon structure. The octagon is 13 feet 9 inches high and has four flights of steps leading to as many sides. Pavement, mosaic, 16 columns, 46 feet in height and 4 feet 6 inches in diameter support the dome. These columns are fluted and filled. And trebladers 11 feet 9 inches and inside and outside faces. There's 16 columns. So 32 eagles. Let's see if there's one more on top and then it'll be 33. Okay, let's see. Where are we? Disposed upon the inside and outside of the entablature. Each bears the coat of arms of, the, of a state and one that of the United States, representing here thereby the whole union and territories. The interior of the dome is intended to be painted in fresco, representing eventful scenes in the life of the great statesmen of the West. The center emblazoned with a star. The dome is crowned with a railing and surmounting all the figures of God, the goddess of liberty. The figure of the goddess of liberty resting on a globe. Entire height of the structure, 132 feet. This is the most costly design. If erected, will be worthy the fame of Henry Clay. 
The same material will be used in the construction as those mentioned in the first, iron, bronze, and stone. She was a prominent figure. They wanted her everywhere. She was on the money for a very long time, I think until the 1900s. I'll look that up in a second, tell you guys, but I'm just going to read this last article. Oh, no, I'm not going to read it. <laughs> it just talks about how capitalism changed America from a lovely lady into a Uncle Sam type capitalist. And how she used to be a graceful lady and she became a dominating man. And if that isn't a metaphor for all of it, and if that doesn't explain them erasing the goddess, I don't know what will. It seemed like they're erasing the goddess all through history. Why is it that an ethereal female deity has to lead back to Lucifer or Lilith? Why is it that we have to put an evil label of darkness on every single icon of the female through history? It's fucking ridiculous. And I am not, not the kind of person that makes frivolent connections to Satanism with everything. I'm sorry. I know there's a lot of people out there doing that. Go listen to them. Go follow them. I think that there's a duality to everything. And I think that erasing women as an honored deity through time and turning them into the icon of the whore of Babylon is an injustice to women, to the divine feminine, and to humanity. I want to bring back Columbia to honor her as the egregore of something beautiful and majestic and strong. Uncle Sam looks like a fucking pedophile. <laughs> Would you leave that guy alone in the room with your child? Fuck no. What is happening? So as you could probably tell, a lot of the research I did, people just have to follow the trail back to darkness and proclaim that all women through mythology were conniving whores. I'm not satisfied with that answer, you guys. I think there's a deeper encryption in these stories. I think Columbia is very important in it all. I think the Gorgons are too. And I think Medusa is too and Pegasus, which is crazy. I just don't have all the time in the world to make all the connections, but I'm getting there. And I'm going to share with you guys as I go. And uh, yeah, I don't know if there's much else to say. What do you know about Colombia? 
Britannia and their connection to ancient goddesses. What stories do you know? How can we decode this shit? I think it's by making these connections. The more connections we can make individually is going to paint a collective picture. Don't you think? Now, before we go, I just want to say this has been a thrilling thread to follow. And I'm sure I'm missing stuff and mix some stuff up, but I'm satisfied with the digging I've done here. Now, right before we finish this up, I just want to interject a little bit of mythology. So you just understand the context of these symbols as they're encrypted in the stories, or at least you can try to. It's all pretty convoluted and laden with mystic shit, but let's just go through a bit of the backstory and let's see if I can piece this together a bit. I've been kind of trying to figure it out all day. And because it overlaps the Greek and Roman mythology and I have some of the parts mixed, it's gotten confusing for me. So let's just try it and just go through the mythology a little bit. So the Gorgons. Okay, so there was three sisters. Theno, who was born in the caverns beneath Mount Olympus. She and her sister, Uriel, were both born immortal, but the third sister, Medusa, was not. So, in the Roman mythology, they were all transformed into Gorgons for their relationship with their sister, Medusa, because they were all three tight, I guess. So they all got transformed when Medusa did. Minerva had her changed into a terrible monster along with her sisters. There's some interesting genealogy involved in Medusa's story that I want to tell you guys about. Besides that fact, I want to talk about how the Gorgon head is on the shield. So in order to do that, we have to go through a bit of the mythology of Medusa. So Medusa was beheaded by the Greek hero Perseus, who then used her head, which retained its ability to turn onlookers to stone as a weapon, until he gave it to the goddess Athena to place on her shield, just like in the golden, the seal of the golden state of California. In classical antiquity, the image of the head of Medusa appears in the evil averting device known as the Gorgon Indian. Gorgon Neon. <laughs> the three Gorgon sisters were all children of the ancient marine deities. Their genealogy is shared with the other sisters. The Grey, which are the three old hags from the cartoon Hercules that share the eyeball. They also share a tooth in mythology. So those are the Gorgon sisters, the Greys. So in the late version of the Medusa myth by the Roman poet Ovid, Medusa was originally a beautiful maiden who when Neptune slash Poseidon, because we're like Roman is Neptune, Greek is Poseidon, same dude, had sex with her 
in Minerva, Athena's temple. The story is that he actually raped her, but actually one story says they had sex, one story says she was raped. But Minerva punished her for doing that in the temple. Made her beautiful hair into snakes. So the Gorgon imagery remained popular even in Christian times, especially in the Byzantine Empire. But more recently, the Gorgonian was adopted by Gianna Versace. So what the guy was saying in the YouTube video about the Starbucks label being the siren or some evil fucking whatever, um, I actually think that's a Gorgon, like a shield Gorgon. And I'm not sure why they use it in their symbology, but I think the Versace logo is clearly a Gorgon too. Like Medusa is like one of the most famous, like her head is the most, one of the most famous deities. Like everyone knows who Medusa is. So it's kind of crazy. When Medusa was raped by Poseidon, she kept the baby or babies, I think. Maybe there was two. Yeah, two. Within her until Perseus cut her head off. So when he killed her, Medusa was pregnant at that time by Poseidon. And when he beheaded her, Pegasus, the winged horse, and Chrysor, a giant wielding a golden sword, a giant wielding a golden sword sprang from her body. In another version though, when Perseus beheaded Medusa, the brothers were born of the earth. And when the Gorgon's blood fell upon her, a variation of the story holds that they were formed from the mingling of Medusa's blood, pain, and sea foam, implying that Poseidon had involvement in, her, in their making. The last version bears resemblance to Hesoid's account of the birth of Aphrodite, from the foam created when the severed genitals of Uranus were cast into the sea by Kronos. Fucking dark. <laughs> so Pegasus became a common element in British heraldry, heraldry, sorry, appearing chiefly as a supporter or a crest. Pegasi might also appear upon escutcheons. Which I've looked at, and they're like the animals on the side of coat of arms. Although this is rare. Pegasus rampant is featured on the arms of the inner temple. Inner temple. I thought that was pretty interesting. Also, another place came up in this that I always find interesting. And that's Ethiopia for some reason. So I'm just going to read you to this little part. It says the Gorgon was made out of terror, not the terror of out of the Gorgon. According to Ovid in Northwest Africa, Perseus flew past the Titan Atlas, who stood holding the sky aloft and transformed Atlas into a stone when Atlas tried to attack him. In a similar manner, the corals of the Red Sea were said to be formed of Medusa's blood spilled into the seaweed when Perseus laid down the petrifying head beside the shore during his short stay in Ethiopia, where he saved and wed his future wife, the lovely Princess Andromeda, who was the most beautiful woman in the world at the time. 
The blood of Medusa also spawned the Amphisbea, a horned dragon-like creature with a snake-headed tail. Perseus then flew to Seraphos where his mother was being forced into marriage with the king Polydectus, who was turned into stone by the head. Then Perseus gave the gorgon head to Athena who placed it on her shield. And what is this inner temple, you ask? Well, I looked it up. <laughs> the Honorable Society of the Inner Temple, commonly known as the Inner Temple, is one of the four inns of court and is a professional association for barristers and judges. To be called to the bar and practice as a barrister in England and Wales, a person must belong to one of these inns. It is located in the wider temple area near the Royal Court of Justice and within the City of London. The Inn is a professional body that provides legal training, selection, and regulation for members. It is ruled by a governing council called the Parliament, made up of the Masters of the Bench, and led by the Treasurer, who is elected to serve a one-year term. The Temple takes its name from the Knights Templar, who originally, until their abolition in 1312, leased the land to the Temple's inhabitants, Templars. The Inner Temple was a district society from at least 1388, although, as with all the inns of court, its precise date of founding is not known. After a disrupted early period, during which the temple was almost entirely destroyed in the Peasants' Revolt, it flourished and became the second largest inn during the Elizabethan period. Okay. So it's a branch of the Knights Templar for barristers, lawyers. This is crazy. And the main symbol at the center of it is the Pegasus. I'm getting deep into this Pegasus after this and the symbols of the Gorgons because I'm going to start seeing it all everywhere. Anyway, I don't know if that made sense, really. But what I wanted to say with this is that they got too powerful and they were messing with stuff they shouldn't mess with. And they were said to make genetically modified humans mixed with animals, like reptile women or um, mermaids or, but I, I sort of think that might all be symbolic too. And I think part of the answer is probably in the stars and part of it is in these mythologies. And another thing I want to add is that they call the people that hold the secret occult knowledge of humanity, the initiates of the flame. And I wonder if that maybe relates to the torch seen to be held by the Statue of Liberty by the goddesses and by Columbia herself. Last but not least, I just want to add this little tidbit. Something I found about the goddess of liberty on coins. It says here, Although U.S. circulating coins from the 18th to early 20th centuries portrayed female likenesses, 
they all depicted the mythical figure of liberty. When creating legislation for a national mint, Congress decided that coins should represent the concept of liberty on the obverse rather than a real person. In early America, symbols of liberty as a Greco-Roman goddess were prevalent. Because of those origins, early coin designs portrayed her with classically styled clothes, facial features, and symbols. By the early 20th century, opinions about featuring real people on coins changed, and President Abraham Lincoln replaced the figure of liberty on the penny in 1909. So for over 100 years, the national anthem was Hail Columbia, and the goddess Columbia, or the goddess Liberty, was on the American coin. Legislation still required the obverse of coins to represent the concept of liberty, but instead of a mythical figure, the presidents became the depiction. So we were forced then to look at our leaders as liberators. <laughs> right at that narrative shift. <sighs> there you have it. There's your intro to Columbia. Now go forth and find more. She was and still is the egregore of what our forefathers wanted America to be. She was a representation of the direction they wanted Americans to go. She was an icon for them to live up to. And then we tore her down and erased her and told everyone the Statue of Liberty was just a gift from the French. I hope you guys learned something today, and I hope that this mysterious, beautiful icon of history has tickled your treasure hunting bone. Because history is thick with these details, guys. I'm not a professional researcher, but I find stuff every day that contradicts the narrative of history and is all laden deep with symbology. We need to understand what these symbols mean. It's super important. <laughs>